Anyway, hey, so thankful that all of you are here. Have you ever started something that you didn't finish? Have you ever started something that just did not end up finishing well? I'll never forget the stomach cruncher. Yes, the stomach cruncher. It was this exercise equipment that my wife and I purchased and it had this thing that you would do sit-ups. It would help you do sit-ups. It forced you to do sit-ups. We purchased the stomach cruncher only to do it about two times and never to finish it again. Are you like how many of you bought? How many of you like you're going like New Year's? It's the health club time, baby. Like we're gonna we're gonna start that new diet. Like how many of you started a diet and you just don't finish it? I think we all can kind of relate to something uh, like that. I'll never forget buying rollerblades. Uh, I don't even, I mean, roller, you guys know what rollerblades are, right? I mean, I, this is like back in the 90s or whatever. Yes, rollerblades. So my wife, like, we were so excited to be like, we're going to get rollerblades. And the way that I'm kind of wired, I'm like, we're going to get good rollerblades. We're not going to, like, get cheap stuff. We're going to get the, the good rollerblades. Because if you get the good stuff, then you're, like, going to keep doing it. So my wife and I, we, we, we got our rollerblades. We got, uh, like, a, a his and hers uh, brand. And we're like, we're going to start doing this together. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, we're back in Chicago, and, and we rollerblade like down this sidewalk, and we take this turn, and we were kind of near some trees, and we take this turn, uh, and, and I look, and I look back, and I no longer see my wife, and I'm like, what happened? And, and she ended up into some bushes, and she ended up like, into the trees, and all I have to say is that's the last time. We ever went rollerblading together. You know what I'm saying? Like you start something and you end up not finishing. Uh, this week I was hanging out with some Compass people and uh, I was talking to this guy and he said he has only finished one book in his entire life. I'm like, how is that possible? I'm like, how many books have you started? He's like a couple dozen. Like how many of you, right? How many of like books on the shelves that you thought you were going to read but you never read. Because the reality is, and this is what I've discovered in life, it's so much easier to start something than to finish it. It's so much easier to begin a project and not to finish it and to leave like the 10%. How many of you like have the kitchen renovation 90% done only to leave it unfinished, right? And, and this is reality. Like, we get motivated to start something like almost do anything. You know, like you, you read a magazine article like, oh, this is it. This is the new thing. You're watching TV and a commercial comes on. And you're like, this is the way to get fit. Like, like, you, 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 like you listen to an inspirational message, right? Even in church and you're like, I'm game. Like, let's go. Uh, you, you watch a motivational movie. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the Jason Bourne movies saying, I'm going to be that guy, only to never, right, never, I'm not that guy. I start, but I don't finish. And, and this is the reality, is it's true of our spiritual life. It's true of our spiritual life. We start, we're going to read the Bible in a year. And we go January and February, and it begins to, Peter off. We, we, this is the morning that everything's going to change. 
And, and, and we start off well, and, and we, we don't finish as well. We, we had a baptism last week, and, and just this, this, this refreshment of, of baptism, right? Anything can God get us motivated, but the reason we give up, listen to this, the reason we give up is that whatever motivated us to get started lacks the horsepower to finish. And I want you to think about it when it comes to your spiritual life. The reality is, if your parents are the ones forcing you into church, at some point as you enter college, as you enter a young adult, if you don't begin to make this faith, make Jesus your own, you're not going to finish well. Like, like the reality is, if, if, if your motivation for following Jesus remains the high of a retreat or a camp or a conference, you're not going to finish well. If your motivation in, in trying to follow Jesus is, is man, if, if, if the kind of a health and wealth thing, right? Like if I give or if I serve, then, then life is good. Or, or, or maybe you've gone through a really difficult time and you're like, Jesus, if you just do this one thing for me, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. And you start so well, and you don't finish well. Why? Because the means, the motivation that started us lacks the horsepower to have us finish well. And it's true of our Christian life, and this is what I mean, is that the reality is your parents, this is sad to say, your parents will die. The, the retreat will end. The, the reality is, right, the, 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 the health and wealth, like suffering will come into your life. So if, our, if what motivated us, which was a means to God, is what you're trying to continue to hold on to, it's going to fail. When we begin to replace God with the retreat, replace God with our parents, replace God with the high, we're not going to finish well. God is God. Our relationship with God is the motivation for us to finish well. You will finish well with God as you remain in a relationship with him. You will finish well in your relationship with God as you remain in him. And listen, I'm not trying to say like remain in him, like keep earning his love or, or keep doing all the right things. I'm talking about relationship. I'm talking about like a daily dependence on Jesus for everything. And the minute we begin to replace the means to God with God, we're not going to finish well. And as sad as it is today, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah does not finish well. The nation of Israel, they do not finish well. Well, chapters 1 to 6, from ruin to restoration, the wall gets built. Chapters 7 to 13, they experience this incredible revival. And then you get to chapter 13, and you're like, stink. They didn't end well. How do we finish well? You will finish well as you remain in relationship with him. That's where we're going this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. If you haven't been with us or if you're listening online or you're watching online for the first time, we're so thankful that you're watching us. We're so thankful. Like, we believe if you're watching online, 
Like, we believe you're part of us. Like, that's the way that we pray for you. That's what we know about you, that you're just with us in this journey. And I'm telling you, you will finish well as you remain in relationship with God. Nehemiah chapter 13, once again, they build a wall. For those of you, like, this is a snapshot to keep you up. The, the nation of Israel, the wall is in ruin. They build a wall. Nehemiah brings, like, social reform. People start taking care of each other, put systems in place. Ezra, which we've talked about these last couple weeks, he brings this revival, this, this relationship with God, and they even put it in writing, right? Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. Let's just kind of see this journey that the nation of Israel goes on. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. says, because of all this, because of this revival, right, that they just experienced, is where we left off, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So these people are like all in. The nation of Israel is like, we are committed to God. We're putting it in writing. This is what's going on. Chapter 12, verse 27. It can, they continue just to give themselves to God. Chapter 12, verse 27 says this. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps. And they're, so they're, they're dedicating the wall. They're like, this is amazing. They're experiencing all these things, right? This is chapter 12, verse 27. Wait till chapter 13. Look at, chapter, look at verses 44 to 45. Not only do they dedicate the wall to God, but now they dedicate themselves. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. And so as you read that, you're going, okay, everything is good. It's a new beginning. The wall's been built. There's revival. They've written stuff down. They're dedicating the walls. Like everything is set. Everything is going well. But then life happens. Distractions happen. What motivated them was not enough to carry it because they, they forgot about the relationship with God. Nehemiah chapter 13. This is where we are now. Starting at verse 4, and we'll continue on. Verse 4 to 5. So now, before this, before verses 1 to 3, Elishab, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. So just, just really quickly, so the high priest, who is a relative of Tobiah, Tobiah is an enemy of Nehemiah, an enemy of the nation of Israel, he gives him room in Jerusalem, in the temple. Says, hey, stay here. How did this happen? How in the world did this happen? How did it go so wrong so quickly? Verse 6. 
So while this was taking place, I, Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave for the king. What happened? Nehemiah leaves. Nehemiah leaves. And he goes back. Now the reality was Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. The plan was always for Nehemiah to go back. This, this wasn't necessarily a surprise. It wasn't like, like Nehemiah got everything set up. He got all the things signed ready. He got the documents ready. Like He got the whole nation. Then Nehemiah leaves for two years. Twelve years to rebuild the temple. Um, Twelve years to like he was there in Jerusalem. Two years that he left and all of a sudden everything happens. Think about this. It's like when mom and dad came home early. You know what I'm saying? It was like those moments as a kid when you were like having a ton of fun, like maybe they went away on vacation and they were going to be gone till Sunday and then you get a phone call, they're coming back Saturday and you're like freaking out, right? Remember those moments? All right, so even as a husband, I have like freak out moments at times, especially when my kids were young with Michelle. Like there were times where she would go away for a weekend or she'd take a couple days and go see her mom in Grand Rapids or whatever it was. And dude, when, when Michelle leaves, like it's party time. Like, it's dad time with the kids. There's never a no. It's just yes, yes. You want to do this? Yes. You want to eat that? Sure. Do you have to clean up? No. Right? Like, it's all good. It's like party weekend when mom goes away. Like, that's just the reality. And so, like, we would have these great dad weeks and weekends or a couple days. And it would be like, oh, dude, this is awesome. And, like, my kids would, would love me until about two hours before Michelle was coming home, right? Then it was like... Kids, get that up, clean that up, wash the dishes, get ready. Mom's coming back. You remember those moments? I don't even remember. Like I, like, I have them etched in my brain. Like those moments, right? This is that moment. Nehemiah's coming back. Nehemiah comes back, and the nation of Israel is not ready. And he finds this mess. What went wrong? How did they find themselves in the mess? Here's the first thing. The house of God was neglected. If you want to know what happened to Israel and what can happen to us, the house of God was neglected. Look at verses 7 to 9. And Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Elishib had done for Tobiah preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I mean, can you imagine this? Nehemiah leaves, and the temple's in place. Nehemiah leaves, and the vessels, and and the ta- like everything is in the temple, like everything is where they're supposed to be. He comes back, and not only is this stuff removed, but the enemy is in the temple. Tobiah wanted to destroy Israel. He, he like confided with Sanballat and with Gershom to destroy Israel. Not, not only that, but he wanted to kill Nehemiah. And, and right, and not only that, when he couldn't kill Nehemiah and he couldn't. Tobiah continued to write letters of intimidation to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah leaves. And the high priest invites the enemy right 
into the temple. They neglected the house of God. If you want to know what went wrong with Israel, they neglected the house of God. They stopped taking care of it. They stopped seeking God in it. And the house of God was neglected. And it just brings me to this question, are we neglecting the house of God? Now, the house of God, think about this, is the place where God dwells. It's the beautiful thing since Jesus, right? When Jesus came, he lived a life, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. When we put our faith in him, right, the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills us up. And, the, and the, word, the Bible says this, that where two or three are gathered, God is there. There's a special presence of God. Right now, right now, what we're experiencing. If, if you're alone, right, that, that, it's, it's, I'll get into that, but realize this, where two or three are gathered, there's this, there's this unique presence, there's a special presence. Have we stopped gathering? And, and whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's in your house as a family, whether it's in a, in a connection group, have, have you isolated yourself and have you neglected what is so important in your relationship with God? I don't know how you keep a strong relationship with God without meeting with others. I don't know, I don't, I don't know how you can do it. I don't, you can't do it alone. That's what I know. But here, here's the second thing. We're, we're, so the house of God, are we neglecting the house of God? Realize this. Wherever the Spirit dwells, right? wherever God is dwelling is the house of God. Do you realize that you are a place where God dwells? I mean, isn't that beautiful? That, that as you put your faith in Jesus, he comes and, and dwells within you. Like he, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He, he goes wherever you go, he is with you. When, you. when you walk into the place you shouldn't be walking into, he's with you. When you're walking into the hospital because you may have cancer, he's with you. When you're walking into the courtroom because something bad's going on, he is with you. He never leaves you. When you're walking into the school, he is with you. When you're walking to soccer practice or, or your workplace or your work environment, he is with you. Are, are you neglecting yourself? Are you neglecting? Are you meeting with God every day? Can, can I just say that I, this is just what I've learned. This is whatever many years, over 30 years of experience in walking with Jesus. Even if you're in a bad place, even if right now you are not liking God at all, start the day on your knees and say, you know what, God, it's not a good day. I don't know. (laughs) I don't really want to talk to you today. Start somewhere. Are we neglecting house of God. What went wrong? house of God was neglected. Two, they stopped giving. They stopped giving. Nehemiah chapter 13, starting at verse 10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. 
So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. People stopped giving. And because they stopped giving, the storehouses got empty. When the storehouses got empty, do you see what happened? Storehouses got empty. The Levites, the workers, had to leave the temple. And who moved in? Tobiah. Tobiah moved into the storehouses. Isn't that crazy? They stopped giving. I mean, this is challenging. And I tell you what, if, if, if you're Nehemiah, it's, it's, I think we can all agree this. It's hard to ask people to keep giving. Are you with me on this? I mean, if you've ever gone to a mission trip or, or if you've ever even like started a business or if you've ever like been in, in need, it's really, really hard to ask people for money. It's our tendency, right, is selfishness. Our tendency is greed. Our tendency is to keep things to ourselves. But if you want to be freed up from greed, if you want to be freed up from selfishness, if you want to live a life of freedom, give. Give generously. Give. I'm telling you, give your time. Give your finances. Like, see how the Lord blesses you as you give. And I'm not just talking about blessing you financially or blessing you with health or blessing you with all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about just blessing you with the freedom that he gives you as you let go of things. As we move from Chicago to, to Arizona, can, can I just tell you how many boxes I still have in my garage and how much freedom it would bring me if some of you showed up at my house without telling me and took all those boxes and threw them all away? And I would never see them. It would bring me such freedom. Right? This is what happens when we give. Right? We, get this, we get this freedom. Have we stopped giving? Have you stopped giving? What are your finances like? I know as a church, the last couple weeks, a couple months, we've got COVID going on. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. And, and, and I know that the, the last couple weeks, the last couple months, we haven't met budget. We haven't. Dave and Pete, our treasurer, like, like they've kind of got into the details, and, and, and we've, like, we've discovered if, if, if each one of us would give $25 more a week, $25 a week, we would be able to meet the budget that we need. 25 bucks. Like, don't go to In-N-Out one time or something, you know? Like, whatever it is, what would that look like? Have we stopped? Have we stopped giving? What went wrong? House of God was neglected. Two, they stopped giving. Three, they neglected the Sabbath. Look at verses 15 to 18. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. And then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing 
that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. I mean, that's serious stuff. Why? Why is the Sabbath so significant? I'll never forget as a kid. <laughs> I mean, teenage, you can learn from me. You can turn this against your parents right now. This is what I did my day. So I was a teenager's time. The, the pastor gave a message on the Sabbath. It was like, yeah, take a day off. You know, don't we working. My dad was in an incredibly difficult time at his company. And he was operating. And, and the plan was we'd go to church and then we were all like, we were all going to go to his, we were all going to go to his work and we were going to get whatever he needed to get done. And I wanted to watch football, you know. So I'm a teenager and I remember my dad saying, all right, let's go. And I was like, dad, like the pastor just said, like we have to take a Sabbath. I did that, I did this, true story. I was like, have you taken a Sabbath yet, dad? <laughs> We didn't go. <laughs> we didn't go, right? So, so why? Why is it so important? Like, back then, I was a teenager, and I was being mean. I was being a jerk to my dad, right? But why is the Sabbath so important? Why is it so important for us to take a day of rest? Why? Because it creates within us a full dependence on God. When, when my dad, through my manipulation, was forced to not work on the Sabbath, really, God, I mean, hopefully God was convicting him, right? Like, like what happened? That week, he was like, how am I going to get this stuff done without God? When we start working on the Sabbath, when we start taking everything, when we start, like, we, we don't give room for trusting God. It's also why we need to give. It gives us room and space to be fully dependent on God, and they stop doing it. They stopped doing it, and Nehemiah said, forget it. What went wrong? The house, of not, the house of God was neglected. They stopped giving. They neglected the Sabbath, and finally, they broke their promise of marriage. They broke their promise of marriage. Look at Nehemiah chapter 13, starting at verse 23 to 27. In those days also, I saw the Jews who had, this is, those are the Israelites. In those days also, I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them, and I cursed them, and beat some of them, and pulled out their hair, and I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil? and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women. Now, let me be so clear on this in this day and age. It's, this is not about racism. Like, this is not about, like, this is not about, you know, 
only whatever Americans, you know, marry Americans. This is spiritual. This is about if you were a follower of Jesus. Don't marry someone who's not following Jesus. Ephesians says, be equally yoked. And I'm telling you, young people, like, you got to listen into this. I mean, this is, this is so important because in this day and in this age, I've heard way too many times from strong followers of Jesus, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not. We, we, we need to marry people that are aligned with us spiritually. If you love Jesus, marry someone who loves Jesus. Don't settle for something else. Why? Because your end game is not their end game. The way you're going to raise your kids is not they're going to want to raise their kids. Like, honestly, it's, it's helpful for both people just to be aligned where you're going spiritually. And honestly, church, I think we've like backed off this a little too much. And I know, man, some of my good friends, this is what's hard, is practically, it's really hard because some of my good friends married somebody, right? Now they're older, they're married for 30 years. They married someone who wasn't a follower of Jesus at the time. And so we go, oh, well, for them it worked. Well, for them it worked. And, and listen, if you've married someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, like, don't divorce, like, it's, like, God's gonna stabilize you, like, keep going, keep loving your spouse, but all I'm saying is, if you're not married, and you're dating somebody, if you're looking to date somebody, that first one, that first line should be that they believe as you believe. What went wrong? The house of God was neglected. They stopped giving. Sabbath was neglected. They broke the promise of marriage. People, the only way we're going to finish well with God is if we remain in relationship with him daily. The only way we're going to finish well with God is if God remains our motivation, our relationship with him, that daily dependence. Four steps to remain in a relationship with him. I'm going to do this quick. Number one, realize you can drift. Realize you can drift. The nation of Israel drifted and realize you can drift. Don't look at the other person and say, yeah, you can drift. You can drift. I'll never forget being on a retreat with some high school students. I was a youth leader at the time, and we were in the ocean, and we got to Florida. We were pumped, and there was riptides, right? There's these riptides in the ocean that kind of take you out. And I, I remember thinking, like, there was a riptide warning, and me and another teenager kind of went in the water, went because we wanted to do some, like, body surfing and that kind of stuff. And we, we got in that ocean, and we were pumped, and there was riptide warnings. And I remember thinking this. I'll never, like, I'll never be brought back. Like, I, I'm too strong. Like, the, the riptide will never take me out. I got this. Can I just tell you something? There was a moment that I thought the teenager that I was with had been, like, was out and had drowned, and there was a moment that I was like, oh my goodness, where in the world am I? I never thought I could get here. Dude, you can drift. Realize you can drift. If you want to finish well, realize you can drift. Number two. Commit yourself to right relationships. Commit yourself to right relationships. Think about it from this end. Think about it from the word influence. Influence. Align yourself with people that are above you or people that are respect, 
that are following Jesus that have influence over you. Align yourself with good relationships with that. Now, am I saying this morning, never talk to another follower. Like, if they're not a follower of Jesus, like, leave. Like, don't ever talk to them. No. We're supposed to help them to know Jesus. But there is a line of influence. And the moment that as a follower of Jesus, you begin to feel influenced, right, by somebody who's not doing something that you shouldn't be doing, it's time to distance yourself from that relationship. Live in right relationship commit yourself to right relationships whether it's who you're marrying to who you're who like you're partnering in business with like whatever that looks like commit yourself to right relationships number three put jesus first in everything put jesus first in everything start your day on your knees whether it's 30 seconds or whether it's 15 minutes or whether it's an hour start your day on your knees pursuing him doing it confess Right, just be open with him daily. Matthew chapter 22, right? Love God, love one another. That's the first commandment. Put Jesus first in everything. It's why I go back to giving. Give Jesus your first. Give Jesus the first fruits of your offering. Give him the first. Give him the best. Why the Sabbath? Give him, give him a day. Give him the best day. Give him the first day. Put Jesus first in everything. And finally, God will finish what he started. You need to know, please, like watch me right now. Look, listen. You need to know God will finish what he started. You're not alone on this journey. He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The moment you think it's all about you, the moment you think it's all about your strength, the moment you think... I can hold on to Jesus with everything. No, no, no. He's with you. He's for you. You're not on this journey alone. He will strengthen you. I mean, if we take a step back and we take the big picture of Nehemiah, think about this. The big picture, right, of of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah returned and what did he find? And let me tell you something. Jesus is returning. And what will he find? And if you take a big step back and you look at the big picture of Nehemiah, you see this. The big picture is they went from ruin to restoration to revival, and then by chapter 13, back to ruin. You see that? That's the cycle. But think about the big picture. In Genesis, it's ruined. Sin entered the world. In the New Testament, there's Jesus. There's restoration. God is a rebuilder of everything broken. God reconciles us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and the resurrection. And guess what? Revelation is coming, and there will be ultimate revival in all that we do of every nation, tribe, and tongue, praising the name of Jesus from ruin to restoration to revival. That's our future, church. That's our future. That's your future. Can the worship team come on up? I don't know if I share this with you yet or not, but uh, I absolutely love my dad. 
And I'll tell a lot of funny stories about my dad, but I tell, man, he's one of the guys I respect most out of anybody. And, um, and I remember <laughs> this moment uh, with him. Just, I just remember watching him you know, grow up, and I mean grow up, watching him as a dad. And, and he went, like he owned his own business. He was extremely successful. But I've also seen him lose everything. I've seen him lose his business. And I remember thinking as a teenager at that time, I was, it was just around after college and I was a young adult. I remember thinking, what's, what's dad going to do now that he lost his business? And I remember thinking when my mom passed away 20 years ago from cancer, I remember thinking, what, what's dad going to do now? And the one thing I've asked my dad, the one thing I desire for my dad, is dad, show me how to finish well. Show me how to finish well. I don't care about how much money you have. I don't care about your success. I don't care about any of that. Show me how to finish well with God. And he will finish well with God as he remains connected with him daily. And you will too. Trust him. Trust him in the day-to-day. Don't lose sight of that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this time. Lord, as we enter in this moment, Lord Jesus, just bring us to our knees. Bring us to our knees, whether it's in repentance of something that we need to repent of. Maybe it's something that we just want to celebrate. But Lord Jesus, we give you our lives. We give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray.